0: Hello everyone, and welcome to this special edition of Employment Matters, brought to you by the Employment Law Alliance, the world's largest network of labor and employment lawyers from the best law firms around the globe. I'm your host, Pete Waltz. Along with bringing you updates and critical events happening all around the world, we always get the chance to bring our local ELA lawyers into the conversation. These folks are practicing on the ground in jurisdictions around the world, helping their clients every day move through difficult times. On the program, we span the globe, and we have updates on critical issues from ELA members in each region. Today, we're going to be chatting with one of our members in Winnipeg, Manitoba, Canada. Joining us today on the program is Mark Allward, an associate at Taylor McCaffrey. Today, Mark's going to share with us some of the new legislation in Canadian employment law. Mark, welcome to the program. How are you doing?
1: I'm doing well, Peter. How are you today?
0: Doing great. You know, you and I have not connected before, so tell us a little bit about your law practice. I'm anxious to hear what you're all about.
1: Sure. So I practice in the labor and employment group at Taylor McCaffrey, of course, as as you mentioned in cold Winnipeg, Manitoba. Winnipeg is actually as cold as people seem to think that it is, but it's not for the entire year. It's only for part of the year. The summer is actually quite lovely and we do have a robust cottage culture here. So I got my call to the bar in 2019 and have been practicing at Taylor McCaffrey in the labor and employment group since that point. And before that, I was an articling student here as well. And as ELA members will know, Taylor McCaffrey has been a member for a long time. And those who have been intimately involved will likely know my colleague, Jeff Palomar. He's our department head in our labor and employment group here. Taylor McCaffrey is a full service firm with friendly and knowledgeable lawyers to handle your various legal needs. Well, listen, I know Canada
0: is known for a few things. I imagine up there when you're not doing law, you're probably not swimming outdoors most of the year. So what keeps you busy when you're not, uh, when you're not on a podcast with me or practicing law with our friend, Jeff up in Manitoba?
1: So away from the office in the admittedly sometimes short summer that we do get, I'm a big golfer. I also play soccer. I run as well and have done a handful of half marathons. That's the, the longest I have any interest in going. After that, it starts to feel a little bit painful. In the winter, I moonlight as a hockey referee, working mostly high-level junior and senior hockey. Interesting.
0: So, Mark, let's talk about what's happening in Canada. And I, and I will say a lot of our podcasts have been focused, obviously, around the impact of COVID and how that's impacted the workforce and the work-at-home situations and compensation and vaccination. And I'd like to take this conversation into a different direction and talk about, some of the things that Canada is doing to combat workplace harassment and violence. Can you address with us what's going on in Canadian law with that?
1: So at the beginning of the year, January 1st, the Canada labor code, which is our legislation that deals with federally regulated employers was amended and they added a new regulation, the workplace harassment and violence prevention regulation, say that five times fast. And this legislation will only come into play for the federally regulated employers. So in Canada, we have a division between federally regulated and provincially regulated employers. This legislation only impacts federally regulated employers.
0: So what are some of the things that this legislation lays out for us?
1: So first and foremost, they've modified the definition of harassment and violence, and that now includes any action, conduct, or comment including of a sexual nature that can reasonably be expected to cause offense, humiliation, or other physical or psychological injury or illness to an employee. They've also added a mandatory workplace assessment to identify risk of harassment and violence pursuant to certain requirements that are set out in the regulations. These risk factors need to be identified, and within the next six months, the employer must create and implement certain preventative measures in order to limit those risk factors as much as they can. And these workplace assessments have to be updated every three years. There are additional elements which require a workplace harassment and violence prevention policy. This is a mandatory policy for a workplace in the federally regulated sphere in Canada. Some of the things that are required of this policy include a mission statement, a summary of emergency procedures, a summary of resolution processes for complaints, and there are, of course, a number of other things that have to be included pursuant to the regulation that are specifically set out therein.
0: So it sounds like, again, lots of work to do there, but in practical terms, what does this really mean for employers?
1: So employers are going to have to consult with their legal advisors on this issue in order to properly address and, and determine what the exact requirements are for them. And there are likely going to be some policy revisions or completely new policies enacted by employers. This workplace harassment and violence stuff is very particular and has certain requirements that have to be adhered to. We're very fortunate that at Taylor McCaffrey, one of our associates has developed a particular expertise in this area.
0: Well, that's interesting. It sounds like there's some new homework for employers dealing in the federal space in Canada. Let's move on to some more interesting jurisprudence out of Canada. Can you tell us about that interesting case that's created some waves among Canadian employers recently?
1: So I think the number one case that's been talked about this year in Canada is the Waxdale decision out of the Ontario Court of Appeal.
0: And what happened with Waxdale?
1: So the facts there are are fairly straightforward. An employee was dismissed from his employment on a without cause basis and sued for wrongful dismissal. And where the actual case comes in is that it was an admitted fact that the just cause termination provision in the employment contract was contrary to the employment standards legislation that was in effect.
0: So let me understand this. So a clause that wasn't the active one in the dismissal was unenforceable? I mean, why does that even matter?
1: That's exactly what makes this case so interesting. The just cause provision was improper, but the employee was dismissed on a without cause basis. So the just cause provision wasn't even the active clause here. But the court found that the clause in the employment agreement that wasn't in adherence with the legislation required the without cause provision to be struck out from the employment agreement as well.
0: That seems very odd. I mean, didn't the contract have some type of severability in it that prevented that from happening? I mean, that seemed like that would have been a normal course.
1: So there was a severability clause in the contract, and the employer argued on exactly that point wanting the with cause provision to be struck out if necessary, but the without cause being severable from that and still applicable in the circumstances. The court found that this argument wasn't successful. The court viewed the termination provisions as needing to be read together, which meant that you could not actually sever them, and so both had to be struck out.
0: So let's talk about another legal matter. So an employer dismisses an employee and they manage to settle that matter rather than litigate it. What type of things does an employer need to do in order to ensure that the matter is settled with finality?
1: So it's actually not as easy as that may appear at first. Typically, we'd see a very general form release dealing with all aspects of the employment and the termination from employment. But actually, that can leave you open to further liability for things that weren't considered at the time the release was entered into. The most common time that we see this is dealing with bonuses that may not have vested at the time of the release. But it can happen for other reasons as well.
0: So give us another example of that happening.
1: So there was a recent case where an employee was dismissed on a without cause basis and the parties settled that wrongful dismissal matter with respect to pay in lieu of notice and signed a general form release. This release set out a number of specific things that were covered, including termination pay, severance pay, pay in lieu of notice, vacation pay, et cetera. But it was still a very general form, not a specific form release. It included language such as without limiting the generality of the foregoing, but it didn't set out anything about entitlement to incurred, but currently unclaimed expenses that had occurred during the course of the employment of the plaintiff. And the plaintiff then sought payment of those expenses and was successful in having the release interpreted in a way such that her claim was allowed.
0: So the general form release didn't apply to that particular claim, I guess. Why is that?
1: So releases in Canada are limited to those things that were specifically within the contemplation of the parties at the time of execution. In this case, the employee was aware of her outstanding expenses when she signed the release. The employer knew that there were likely outstanding expenses but did not actually know the extent. And the judge found that the parties had not turned their mind to expenses until after the release was signed. So it was outside the scope of what the parties had contemplated when the release was executed. And so the release did not apply to those expenses.
0: Wow. Well, that was a quick legal exercise in what's going on in Canada. Thank you for that debrief, Mark. And I hope you can start to warm up up there.
1: I'm hoping so too. Golf is right around the corner and I'm looking forward to it immensely. Well, thanks for joining us today. Well, thank you very much for having me, Peter.
0: If you'd like to connect with Mark Allward or any of the lawyers from around the world, please search for them on the ELA website at ela.law. Just go to the big find a lawyer widget in the center of the page. Click on the drop-down box to choose a lawyer in your jurisdiction. While you're on the website, you can also sign up to receive upcoming webinar invitations, download white papers, get access to on-demand content, or use the ELA's exclusive Global Employer Handbook. You've been listening to Employment Matters, a podcast brought to you by the Employment Law Alliance, the world's largest network of labor and employment lawyers from the best law firms around the globe. I'm Pete Waltz. Thanks for listening.